Welcome back to Shrinking Stigma, a podcast aimed at addressing some of the myths and misconceptions surrounding the profession of psychiatry, and it's aimed at the general public rather than medical specialists. My name is Dr. Lisa Harper, and I'm a psychiatrist in Calgary. I'm here with one of the podcast co-creators, Dr. Jonathan Dornian. Other individuals involved are Dr. Jalen Arkand and Dr. Sheila Acharya. So thank you again to the Alberta Medical Association for graciously providing funding to support this project. And I'd like to introduce the topic of this episode, which is aren't mental health patients dangerous? We decided on the topic because this is a frequent question that we receive. With the rise of social media and rapid transmission of news, there is often significant publicity of violent events that will often highlight or speculate on a potential mental health diagnosis. For example, in relation to the public shootings in Las Vegas earlier in 2018, a Google News search for Stephen Paddock mental health yields over 7,000 news articles that have mentioned the issue. The topic comes up at length with increased gun violence in the United States, as well as when an individual charged with violent crime is deemed not criminally responsible. But that's a topic for a different episode. We aim to provide an objective view of the risk of violence in psychiatric patients. That sounds relevant. Uh, To continue, we have a few learning points that we want to emphasize over the next 20 minutes or so. The first is to recognize the rate of violence among patients who are suffering from a mental disorder. And the second is to identify those features that are high risk for potential violence. Perfect. So let's get started. Much has been made about the perceived risk of violence in patients suffering from mental disorders, and there has been a significant amount of research over the past several decades about such. There's been a few large studies trying to analyze the topic, and results have been a little bit mixed. Much of it relates to differential risk based on specific risk factors that we will discuss later. Recently, much data comes from what's called the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related Conditions, or NESARC for short. This involved surveying over 30,000 individuals with a two-wave questionnaire about mental disorder, substance use, and violence. The first wave was conducted over 2001 and 2002, where individuals were surveyed extensively relating to substance use, psychiatric diagnosis, and sociodemographic risk factors. Follow-up questioning then occurred several years later in 2004 and 5. So, in the first wave, subjects were asked whether they had engaged in 1. Serious or severe violence, with questions like, have you ever used a weapon like a stick, knife, or gun in a fight? Other questions included, ever hit someone so hard that you injured them or they had to see a doctor? Or, ever start a fire on purpose to destroy somebody's property just to see it burn? There were other questions about substance-related violence, like have you ever gotten into a physical fight during or after drinking, or have you ever gotten into a fight when under the influence of a drug? 
The portion of this was designed to create a composite of historical violent behavior. In wave two of the data collection in 2004 and 2005, subjects were asked, since your last interview, did you? And then further questions were asked, similar to the first wave of questioning. This was designed to assess uh, potential violent behavior and substance-related violence occurring in between those surveys. A well-cited study published in the Journal of the American Medical Association of Psychiatry then used the results of these questionnaires to statistically analyze predictors of violent behavior and correlate them with a number of factors. They organized these into four broad categories, one being dispositional factors, such as age or education, two being historical factors, so things like criminal history of parents, witnessed abuse as a child, a history of violence or juvenile detention, as well as three, clinical factors, which are things like psychiatric or substance abuse diagnosis, or four, contextual factors, such as victimization, stressors in life, and unemployment. There's a lot of analysis going on, and if you'd like all the details, the full publication link is available on our podcast homepage on SoundCloud. Overall, the data analysis concluded that independently, severe mental illness alone did not predict future violent behavior. For the purpose of this study, severe mental illness was classified as schizophrenia, bipolar, or major depressive disorder. A base rate of violence in the population was observed to be about 2.9% between waves of the survey, with a rate of half that in those who were suffering from severe mental illness alone. However, it did note that violence was reported more often in those with mental illness when combined with other factors. The factors that were identified as statistically significant predictors were younger age, history of violence, male gender, history of juvenile detention, divorce or separation in the past year, history of physical abuse, parental forensic history, unemployment, and concurrent severe mental illness with substance use. So with the baseline of 2.9% violent events between surveys, were there any specific groups they identified as having higher rates? Yes. History of violence alone doubled the risk, and this increased further with a concurrent diagnosis of severe mental illness. Substance use and history of violence without mental illness showed even higher rates than violence history with mental illness. The highest rates they saw occurred in a combination of individuals with a history of violence, severe mental illness, and co-occurring substance use, with a probability of approximately 12% of having a violent event between those two surveys. That's fascinating. So overall, what did they conclude? Well, essentially that mental illness alone did not predict future violent behavior and should not be thought of as a cause of violence in the general population. It did note that patients with mental health diagnoses did, however, report being involved in violence more often based on exposure to other factors, 
particularly substance abuse, environmental stressors, and a history of violence. Great. So is that the end of the debate? Well, unfortunately, no. Using the exact same set of data, a different, also highly cited study suggested that there was a modestly statistically significant increase in violent events based on severe mental illness alone. Hmm, same data, different conclusions. How does that work? Well, that's the magic of statistics and research methodology. In brief, they looked at correlating violence with mental health diagnosis over the past year, rather than lifetime, as was done in the previous study. And they also used a different comparison group. In the first study, individuals suffering from severe mental illness alone were compared to what is called a heterogeneous, or a mixed group of individuals that included all other participants in the study, including those with concurrent substance use as well as severe mental illness. Other mental illness like anxiety, personality disorders, and substance use was also included. As such, a criticism was that their comparison group overestimated the rate of violence compared to the rates in the population without any substance use or mental illness. Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I think there's some merit to both. In the first study that we discussed, using a heterogeneous group as a comparator is more realistic when comparing to the population at large. In essence, we aren't comparing to a very limited portion of the population. On the other hand, it could be argued that the rates of violence in this mixed group could be confounded by variables other than mental illness, namely substance use and history of violence. So what did the second study conclude? That individuals with severe mental illness have about a three and a half times greater risk of being part of violent events. This can also be compared to their other conclusion that individuals with pure substance use disorders have a 3.3 times greater risk of violence. They're really quite similar. Both of these are compared to individuals who are not suffering from any substance use disorder or a mental health diagnosis. So in this analysis, the overall rates of violence were pointed 83% in population that didn't have a diagnosis versus 2.88% in the severe mental illness population. That's a bit confusing. Is there any other data we can look at? Well, I wanted to bring up one more long, complicated study called the MacArthur Violence Risk Assessment Study. And this was published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry. In this case, data was collected over a thousand patients from 1992 to 1995. Participants included individuals recently discharged from admission under psychiatry who were then followed up every 10 weeks for a year to assess violence measured by patient report as well as using collateral information from hospital, police, and collateral informants. The most interesting part of the study to me is that the comparison group used were actually controls 
who were not hospitalized, who were living in the same neighborhoods as these individuals. So they were comparing the violence risk between people who had been acutely discharged from hospital versus those who were in the general communities that they had been living in. And what did they find? No statistically significant difference in rates of violence and further data that emphasized the risk of substance use in potential violent events. So it sounds like the jury is still out, but it hardly seems like mental health patients are the walking powder cakes that they're sometimes portrayed as. I think that that's a reasonable conclusion. Eliminating all the variables other than severe mental illness may produce cleaner data, but in trying to compare to the so-called general population, it's important to note that including some of these risk factors in the control group is actually more representative of average people in the population. Clinically speaking, are there any features that you identify as being higher risk for potential violence? Well, prior history of violence is the number one thing that I personally look for. Other important things that I look at are concurrent substance use, gender, forensic history, and the ability to demonstrate remorse. The literature has mixed data, but further concerning features include paranoid delusions, particularly if the patient is endorsing command hallucinations, telling themselves to harm themselves or others. That's another point when I get more careful in my assessments. Is there anything else you'd like us to know about violence in mental health patients? Well, much more so than being a predictor for violence, mental illness is actually a significant risk factor for criminal victimization. Our patients can be incredibly marginalized, and there is research showing a six-fold greater increase in being the victim of a homicide or double the risk of being a victim of a violent crime. Wow, so if I know someone with a mental health diagnosis, should I treat them differently for fear of violence? Well, in general, I can confidently say no, as long as they appear settled. However, if a patient is actively under the influence of a substance, or experiencing persecutory delusions with command hallucinations, or somebody has a known history of violence, there certainly are possible risks. In particular, I would be very cautious if somebody is under the effects of a stimulant such as methamphetamine. In that case, I would really avoid engaging with them. Overall, I want to encourage the message to not fear or treat differently individuals with a mental health diagnosis. If, however, a person appears acutely agitated and dangerous, do not try and engage with them unless you're a professional. Please keep your distance and call the police if needed. Really, this applies to both individuals with and without mental health diagnoses. That makes sense. So overall, what do you want people to take away from this episode? There's been mixed results when trying to identify if mental illness is an independent predictor of violence, with significant data supporting both sides of the argument. However, mental illness alone does not appear to be a great predictor for future violent behavior. In studies showing increased 
rates of violence, this effect is smaller compared to individuals with concurrent substance use and prior history of violence. I also want people to remember that the most important risk factor for future violence is past violence. If we're getting into the nitty-gritty details, other significant risk factors include things like gender, younger age, and persecutory delusions. Please remember not to put yourself in harm's way if you're interacting with an individual who appears to be erratic, threatening, or using substances. You can call 911 if you have any concerns. Great. I think we can end on that. Please remember to subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting platforms for future episodes. References for articles discussed in this episode are available on our SoundCloud page, which can be found at the URL www.soundcloud.com and searching Shrinking Stigma. Thank you for listening.